I'll read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the fact that we can still here today learn so much from something that happened uh, nearly 3,500 years ago. So we pray, Father, that you would awaken our minds and guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit into truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, last week we began this uh, series, Life in the Wilderness, and we uh, began with Moses and how his life portrayed a life perpetually spent in wilderness. Uh, the first 40 years, actually a very cushy wilderness in the palace of Pharaoh, but yet a wilderness nonetheless because he alone was there as an interloper, a Hebrew uh, rescued from the river. And then he spent the 40 years in Midian uh, in anonymity, and yet that was the wilderness. And then even uh, after the rescue of the Jews and all of these 40 years in the uh, wilderness, again wandering, uh, even though he's surrounded by millions of people, he alone really is again alone before God. And so his whole life was spent in the wilderness. And so today we'll look uh, kind of in a big picture way at that lost generation, at all those uh, 20 plus year olds that came out of Egypt and God uh, perished in the wilderness. Our text, Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, uh, is pretty much an exact quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 to 11. And so it's interesting. But uh, we know, and actually until I looked this up, I'd thought that Stephen Langton, the archbishop in the 1200s that had uh, divided the Bible up into chapters, I thought he had applied the verses too, but he did not. Uh, there were uh, two attempts in the 1500s to do it, and then in the mid-1500s, a man by the name of Robert Estienne, his is kind of the one that took. And so you have the numbers now of all the verses of all the chapters because of the work of that man in the 1500s. And yet, uh, I believe when he chose 711 and 711, he did it intentionally because it's a direct quote from uh, the psalm. The psalm 95 is entitled, A Call to Worship and Obedience. And uh, this psalm, if you turn to it, should look familiar because I used it in the call to worship. So I read all the way up to uh, where today's text begins to appear at verse 7. And... Uh, you'll see that we read, for he is our God and we are the people of his passion, the sheep of his hand. And then in Psalm 95, it starts, today if you will hear his voice. So that's where we get our text here in today if you will hear his voice. So we read it as the intro to worship and it was, it was a beautiful intro to worship. But look where, look where he was going with it. He was going to then talk about this that the Jews in the wilderness faced, this, this temptation that they faced, and this essential rebellion that they all participated in. 
at least they were all guilty of, and I believe they all participated uh, in it, and I'll tell you why as we develop this. But in our text, 7 to 11, what is meant by this phrase, the very last phrase that I read? They shall not enter my rest. What does God mean when he tells this generation that they shall not enter my rest? A naive reading could lead you to believe that what he's speaking of is just that they will not enter into the promised land. They will not enter into Canaan. They're in the wilderness. They are roaming. They're wandering. They're essentially camping for 40 years, and they never get to go home, quote-unquote. They don't have a home to go to. They never have a home established on this earth other than the one that they left, that God rescued them from, the one that they longed to return to. So is that what it means? Does it mean that they just didn't get to go, go into Canaan, go into the promised land? Well, look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so the writer of Hebrews is cautioning his readers not to harden their hearts as the Jews that were rescued from Egypt had hardened their hearts long ago. And then he said, he swears in his wrath that they shall not enter his rest. And this is a warning to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing to. This is warning them to not follow their example. So then the obvious question is this. Does this then mean, if this is more than entering the land of Canaan, is this about, is this about salvation? And if it means salvation, that means that not one, not one of the adult Jews, except for Caleb, and who else? The Duff Snow, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. Not one of the adults that was over 20, 20 or older, was saved. That's amazing. Only their children entered into the promised land every 20-plus-year-old. So see, you've got one or the other. It's not, it's not in the middle anywhere. God is speaking of the land of Canaan, or he's speaking, or, and in addition to this temporal promise fulfillment, he's also speaking of the future, their future that they have rejected. They've rejected him. They've rejected this potential future that they had. So does it mean that none of these people were saved, that they all have gone to hell? are in Hades awaiting hell. I believe so. And let me continue the reading of Hebrews 3 from verses 12 on. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And I believe it's that final word in Hebrews chapter 3 that confirms for us 
that none of those people went to heaven. All of those people went to hell, except for Joshua and Caleb. Yet, if your birthday happened to fall a day before that, then perhaps you did go to heaven. Isn't that true? I mean, it's true. 20 was a huge deal for them. And the ones that were under 20, when they left Egypt, they survived, they lived. Now, we know not necessarily all of them, but still, there were no people that came out over 20 that lived to enter the promised land. That's amazing, because these people didn't all tend to die before 60. You see it in Scripture. They lived a long time. The time limit God had capped was 70 with strength 80. Yet he killed them all off prior to 60, prior to entering the land. Now, I want to point something out to you again in our text. It's not in 711, but it brackets it. Look at verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, we're in the middle of a thought. Let's go to 5. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. That's that last phrase, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, go to verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You have pretty much the same sentence. See, I told you you need your Bible. You've got to open your Bible here. I'm, I'm piecing this together for you, but you can't do it from memory unless your memory is much better than mine, and maybe it is. But so you've got these two sentences that are very similar to one another that bracket our text, this warning. Our text warns us not to follow this example and why, because they perish in unbelief. And I want you to understand this sentence whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. That's verse 6 and verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. People with a, 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 just a, a, a simplistic view of Scripture would sometimes argue that this is teaching loss of salvation. It's, te it's teaching a conditional salvation on my conduct. But that's not what it says. You have to read what it says. It is not salvation that is conditional here. It is your awareness of the fact that you are saved that is conditional here. That's all it is. It's only pointing to the fact that only the saved will persist. And he's warning you that rebellion is a symptom of unbelief. And that symptom of unbelief should cause you concern if you engage in it, because unbelief is not being saved. It's the same thing. And so if you are content with rebellion in your life, so content that you don't care what God's Word has to tell you today, you are at risk. You are like one of these Jews that's been brought out of Egypt and doesn't know the Lord. So this is a caution to all of us God extends the grace of repentance to whomsoever he wishes. And he does not extend the grace of repentance to whomsoever he wishes. That is his prerogative, and we know this. Yet, we have the responsibility to engage God in this way. I am to evaluate my heart, 
Test it for unbelief. Test it for rebellion. And then if I find it there, plead with God to save me. That awareness, that self-recognition of the fact that you are in rebellion and potentially lost is a warning call. So we know from this scripture that rebels that test God, his patience with them wears thin. So I just warn you, all of us, to the degree that we become comfortable engaging in rebellion against God and his obvious, obvious teaching, we are at risk. What it would mean, though, if we are lost is that we never knew him. So as we come to the table, let's remind ourselves that this is God's grace poured out for us. It should cause you to want to eliminate rebellion against him from your heart. We all know people that don't know the Lord that claim they do. Let's not be one of those people. Father, we thank you for this, your body and blood uh, broken and poured out for us. And we pray, Lord, that it would be efficacious for everyone present in this room, that if any here harbor rebellion in their heart, that they would see that as the possible symptom of unfaithfulness and unbelief. So we pray, Lord, please uh, awaken them to their peril. We ask you now to be with us, to bless this food to our bodies and to our spirits. In Christ's name, we give you thanks and pray. Amen.